Well, um, you can tell I'm definitely not Heidi. And um, she, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, but, and then um, because I don't really know why Heidi asked me to speak, but maybe. <laughs> um, uh, my name's Amber, and I've met lots of you, but I know that I haven't met all of you. And uh, my husband and I lived in North Africa in the Middle East for about seven and a half years, and we came back. Um, told somebody somebody started making me cry already so it's miss sandy's fault because it just lets it go you know um we came back um about a year ago and um casey had grown up at grove and hickory grove graciously and really in the lord's sovereignty and timing asked us to stay and really it was very hard for me and the farthest thing from my mind and the farthest thing that I wanted to do, but yet some days I was just ready to come home. So um, we've been back for about a year and um, had always been at main campus. That's where we met. And then um, we moved this past summer. So we started coming here. I'm just so excited um, to be at North Campus and to really get to know a lot of people here. And we've been really blessed by lots of conversations that we've had from you and just the way that you're living your lives in holiness and been so encouraged. Um, But Heidi called me um, at the beginning of the semester, and she said, would you be willing to talk? And I was like, that really intimidates the crud out of me. Like, no, these are all like my peers and um, people who are doing things so much more amazing um, with a heart more amazing than me. And um, she's, um, she told me who told on me, basically, like who gave her the idea. Um, But uh, she asked me to speak um, because chapter six last week that we were supposed to do, she was really going to talk about putting what we put on. And she said, well, the chapter has got a lot more stuff to it. Will you talk about that? And then because chapter seven is really about self-reflection and it's kind of hard for one of us to stand up and talk about. And I said, okay. So I taught, um, talked to Casey a whole lot, had lots of uh, different ideas about all these di- six different things. And um, at one point, he said to me last week, Amber, I feel like you're really all over the map. Like, you have, <laughs> I said, like, really, Heidi, pray for me that the things will be concise and that will be what the Lord is asking me to share. So um, um, when she talks about, in chapter 6, she talks about these graces that she feels like God has given her in her life to spur her on towards holiness. So that's really what we're going to do. We're going to go through each one, um, and we're going to talk about what the Bible says about it. And then we're going to also talk about what our life would be if we didn't have those. How would it affect your holiness? So when you guys talk in your groups, you can talk about um, both chapter 6 and chapter 7 for the discussion questions at the end. Um, But one thing I want you to think about... um, (coughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, After the flood, when God began to fill the earth with people again... Um, he told them to spread out and go all over the place. But instead, they collected together, and what they did was they said, well, we're going to build a name for ourselves, and we're going to build a tower so that we can reach up to heaven, basically, and that the, all of the people on the earth will look at us and see how great we are. And as I was thinking about these graces this week and how, um, basically, that's the story of the world. Um, Casey and I have been really amazingly blessed to be able to see what it's like for um, a culture to be completely without God. And I say we're blessed because that helps us realize, number one, wow, thank you, Lord, that you have 
not let me be born in America, but that you gave me tons of people around me that shared the truth of the gospel with me. And two, that just gives us the motivation to tell people more. Um, but they were seeking God's blessing, the thing that they wanted, God's good things, and they made that the idol. Um, so we're going to just think about that. Think about the Tower of Babel as we talk about these things. Um, because every single nation, every single religion, every single culture, even ours, has a Tower of Babel that they like build it up to. Things, something that they replace with what God's good things that were supposed to help towards holiness and say, no, we want this instead and we will worship that thing. Um, so we're going to try to talk about those examples. And there's so many, and I just saw about really one for each. Um, so you can talk about that too in your groups. Um, but if you guys would just pray with me, help me calm down a little bit, because I really talk fast um, when I'm nervous. So, <laughs> um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because you're holy and you were set apart. And that is crazy because you set us apart, and um, not because of our own works, um, but because of your Son and the righteousness that he put on us. And we just want to learn about you, and we want to walk in holiness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so the first one is the word that she talks about. And to talk about the word, what we're going to do is read God's word a lot. So there is a bunch of really one verse things, and you can write them down on a piece of paper. What I'm going to have each person, like I gave a couple of people a little sticky note, um, and what we're going to look at is each verse, what does it say about God's word? If there's something that you want to do on your own this week, just look at Psalm 119. The whole entire chapter is about how amazing God's word is. Um, but it's a lot of verses, so we're not going to sit and read the whole entire thing right now. Um, but if, if we're going to think about what God's word is, um, the first thing is that God's word is right and God's word is true. So if I can have my friend who is going to read Psalm 33, 4. Okay, because God's word is right and true, we can trust it. Okay, God's word is also alive and it is active. It is not a dead book. There are lots and lots of dead books, okay? And basically the whole world is reading a version of a dead book, okay? Except for ours. So um, my friend that's going to read Hebrews 4.12. <laughs> Sorry, we had to share some Bibles today. Okay, Beth said, it is alive and active, okay? And um, the last one, this is definitely not an exhaustive list about what God's Word is, but these are just some simple things for you to think about. God's Word is right um, and true. It is alive and active. And um, the last one, it stands forever. I've, um, Brittany, I think it's you that will read some, I mean, Isaiah 40, verse 8. Okay, so every single other thing printed or said is all going to fade. Thank goodness all of my words are going to fade, right? But God's word will stand forever, okay? So it's right and true. We can trust it. It is alive and active. It is a living thing, and it stands forever. So it, was, it will be everlasting. Okay, so then we need to look at, okay, how does that affect my holiness? Okay, what does God's word actually do for me? Um, Psalm 119, verse 30. 
Okay, I think I wrote the wrong one down. But that's good for me to know that. One, Psalm 119.30. Okay, I will have to look it up and figure out which one I wrote down. But I'm going to read to you what I have, which is another verse in the Bible that I will figure out where it's from. It says, oh, you know what it is? I realized it already. It's 119.130, okay? So it's uh, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Okay, man, how amazing is that? God's word, the unfolding, like just as it comes out, it gives life, we, we, gives light. We see that just from the very beginning in Genesis. As his word comes out, he says, let there be light. Um, that it gives understanding. Just to think that without God's word, I have no understanding. Often I wake up and I think, oh, I have a lot of understanding. I'm gonna go through my day without it. But God's word says, no, you really don't have light and you don't have understanding. Um, <coughs> Hebrews... Um, 4.12 that Beth read a second ago. I'm just going to read it again. But it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word is able to slice right through us, okay? The joint and marrow, the things that like we can't even hardly separate, the soul and the spirit, God's word knows exactly how to get right at us. Um, it reveals our thoughts and our attitudes, the things that we don't even want to think about, that we don't want to admit. But God sees that, okay? And God's word reveals that to us. Um, the next thing is 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. It teaches us, sorry, it reproves us, it corrects us, it trains us in righteousness. All these things that God's word does. So if we don't have God's word, we're getting our correction, our training from something else. Okay, you are going to be trained. You're going to be corrected. You are going to be taught. But you have to choose where you're going to get it from. Um, the next thing, Psalm 119, 105 So God's word directs our path. Okay, if God's word does all these things for us, like do we actually really in our daily life think about that? Do we really lean on that? Are we desperate for those things in our life that it does, gives us understanding, it gives us life, it teaches us, it gives us uh, direction? Okay, and when she talks about, there's some questions that she has in the book that help you evaluate how you, if you use these blessings towards your holiness or not. And one of the things that she said, um, was just about has God's word, how has it protected me from sin this week? And I thought, wow, why? like that was so convicting to me. Um, so I was just thinking about what is the, the imitation of that in our society, okay? What is it that we have taken God's word that is so amazing and we say, mm, that's not quite what I want, but there's something else over here. And um, there were a lot of cultural things that was easy for me to think of, like, in the Middle East. But I really wanted to think about what is it in America for us. Um, and Casey and I were talking, and I really think that it's the word of man. Um, with the internet right now, and social media, and Facebook, all these amazing things that we have at our fingertips all the time, what are we looking at? Um, we're looking at the words of other people constantly. And sometimes the words of other people are good and amazing things, but because everyone's voice is allowed to be heard now. We, 
I think sometimes we almost think, well, I have an opinion. I have to say it to everybody, whether that's, whether that's a, a godly opinion or not. Um, just a side note, um, last night I was just trying to relax, and I took a bath, and my kids were all in bed. And I was like, I can just sit still in the bathtub. This is so boring. Like, oh, my phone's right here. And then, like, God totally convicted me. He was like, Amber, you're about to talk about this tomorrow, like, meditating on my word. And what are you doing right now? You have 20 minutes by yourself, and you're going to meditate on Pinterest. Like, really? Come on. <laughs> so um, <coughs> I just want you to think about this week. How, how are you listening to the words of man, whether that is your best friend or a book that you've been reading or a magazine or somebody else's post that you're thinking, man, that is a really amazing thing that she's doing right now at her house. I want to do that. Um, Because we are called to be different, okay? God set us apart for holiness, okay? He has already said that about you. Um, So that's the practical holiness that she's been talking about. What do we have to be? Um, So we're going to, I'm going to read to you Psalm 119.11. It says, for I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay, some of your versions might say um, that I have hidden your word against my heart. But it's an intentional thing. When you go play hide and seek, you don't, your kids don't like just hide by accident, right? Like they go and they, you know, put something away or they put themselves in a place that you can't find them. Um, if you're storing something up, it's something that you're doing on purpose, so I just really thought about that this week and that how am I storing your word in my heart? And something that really convicted me. Okay, um, I know that I'm not supposed to text and drive, so I really try hard not to do that. But in stoplights, you know, you sit there and you pick up and you think, oh, I'm going to text someone or I'm going to look at this real quick and I'm going to turn Instagram on or whatever because it's so easily at my fingertips. But um, the Lord really convicted me the past couple weeks about his word. Um, there are... I've really been amazingly blessed to meet a bunch of Muslim women since I got home. And God's, you know, when I pray for them, just thinking about how should I pray for them, and um, God really just reminded me, like, look, pray my word. The things that you know are already true, pray them. And I, you know, thinking about it the other day, I thought, okay, this is what I have to do. And I got it out this morning. You guys were like my accountability, because I've been meaning to do it all week. But this morning I was like, oh, I'm going to get those cards. Like, these are just little, I don't even know where my mother-in-law got these, okay? But they're just like cards on a ring, like writing the verses out that I need to pray for those people. And that's what I meditate on in the car instead of something else. Um, just intentionally storing God's word in my heart. And um, wh- why is it that we have to intentionally store God's word in our heart? Um, because if not, then we conform to the world, Okay, God knows our heart. God knows what we, we are going to do. We're going to be like, um, like them. Um, so he says, no, you have to constantly renew your mind. And how do you renew your mind? It's through reading my word. And then um, and Joshua, um, chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua has just led the people while well, they've come across the wilderness, and he's about to send them out into the promised land, and he's read the whole entire law to them, okay? And then he says to them in chapter 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do the things according that are written, to do according all that is written in it. 
for then you will make your way practice oh sorry then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success he's telling them like hide this word in your heart just what he's saying in psalms too but meditate on it day and night i want you to think about what am i meditating on is it god's word because if it's not god's word then i'm not going to become holy okay god's word is the only thing that can make me holy um the next thing we're going to talk about is confession um, and I have to be honest, this one, I kind of felt like, what is there to say about confession? You just, you pray and you confess it to God, right? Like, that's like the easiest one of these six. Um, but we have to look about what does God's word say about confession? Um, I want you guys to turn to Psalm 32, and then we're going to read verse 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Um, I want you to think about Adam and Eve. Very first people that sinned, what did they do? They immediately hid, and they immediately covered themselves up, okay? They tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves. Fig leaves, we know, are not sufficient enough for bodily covering okay we did live in the middle east and they have fig trees everywhere and they're big leaves but they're still not like great clothes okay and so i want you to think about every time that you try to cover up your sin like hey i'm putting a fig leaf on like this is silly just how silly this is and how god looks at us and goes that's gonna rip that see through that that doesn't cover you um because um because then when god came to them When God came to them, he said, where are you? And he knew they were hiding, okay? And he gave them that opportunity to confess. What a blessing that is that we get to confess things to the Lord, that he doesn't just come in condemnation, okay? That he knows all of the the thoughts of our hearts and the words of our mouth and the deeds of our hands, but he gives us an opportunity to confess. And when we do confess, he's promised that forgiveness comes, okay? Because when he, what did he do for Adam and Eve? He took a covering and he covered them up. Just how beautiful a picture that is of Christ, that, that he said, you know, I will cover you up with the skin of an animal. And when we come to God, and we take off our coverings, all the things that we have covered up our sin with. And God says, I cover you up with Christ and with forgiveness. I just really I hate that I cry all the time. Uh, um, but when we try to cover up with our sin, I mean, cover up our own sin, just how insufficient it is. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 32 that it is that we waste away. Um, when I was in college, 
um, there was a, a period of about a year that I was um, in sin and um, unrepentant about it and definitely tried very hard to cover it up. Um, my parents are believers, and um, at that time, I, I just felt like I couldn't go to church anymore. Um, so I covered that up by saying, well, I'm just going to visit a bunch of different churches because see what I haven't seen before. So basically just hop from church to church because um, I knew that I was covering up my sin. And, um, and one day I went back home to my parents' really rinky-dink church that I really could not stand. Um, and this lady sang a song. And let me tell you, it was probably like the most country song that otherwise I would not have even listened to. But it was just a basic song about God's forgiveness. And I cannot tell you the words about what it was, but I remember just feeling like, oh, I have to get out of here. Like, oh, like God's word was so heavy upon me and convicting my sin. Praise the Lord, he doesn't leave us in our sin and that he convicts us with his word, but he convicts us to, so that we can come and confess to him. And that was really the breaking point for me. Um, because I remember thinking, like the Bible says, like I would rather just stand at the gate of God because I can't go in. Like I just remember feeling that way. And God, after that song, I think he was just really strong. Me, like, Amber, come and confess this sin and let it be done. Stop trying to hide it away because you are wasting away. And I literally was. Um, after that, I went through really like a total transformation. I had been a believer since I was a child, but just give, God gave me... Um, an appetite for his word that I could not get enough after that because he gave me forgiveness. Um, so we want to look at what is the world missing out? Basically, what is the mark that the world is trying to get but, they, but they've really failed in? Or a way that they've tried to reach up to God like the people from the Tower of Babel. Um, and I thought about this one a lot, and then one of the first things that came to mind was... was um, Catholicism in confession. And I um, have never been in a Catholic church, did not grow up in that type of um, environment. But um, when we were in Egypt, there, uh, the believers, well, the Christians that are there are called Coptic Christians. They're very, very close to Catholics and very Orthodox. And they have uh, lots of the same traditions that Catholics do in confessions. And I remember talking to people there and just them talking about all that the priest has to do for them. And that same idea in Catholicism that you have to go and you confess to the, to the priest. Um, so I just started thinking about, like, why are we different than that? Um, because when God chose Abraham's descendants, and he didn't choose them for any reason because they were amazing. We've already seen that. But he set them apart. But he set them apart for his glory, right? And he gave them, well, he set them apart for his glory. But the purpose was to show the whole world what he is like, okay? Not to show the whole world what they were like. Um, and he gave them this sacrificial system. Told them, you come to the priest, the priest offers sacrifices to you, for you um, because he wanted them to see that he can be approached only when we are without sin, okay? That was the whole point of that. And they turned it around and made it into something else, that it was just a, a ritual that they did just by, by rote. Okay, so we're going to turn 
to um, Hebrews chapter 10 and see why, why Christ is so much better than that. Um, So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offered the repeated, offering repeated the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all, the, for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, so why is Christ different? Okay, why is he different than the whole sacrificial the sacrificial and the priesthood system that was set up because he doesn't have to offer sins for himself because he was perfect. So he can offer sacrifice. He can be the sacrifice for our sin because he doesn't have to approach God in a way that he's already asked for forgiveness. He approaches God constantly. And then in Hebrews 4, if you flip over to Hebrews 4, Verse 14, it says, Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are yet without sin. Let, then let us draw with confidence. Then let us, whoa, sorry. Then <laughs> let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That, me, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So because of Christ, we can approach God confidently. We don't have to go through anybody else. We don't have to hope uh, that our mom or our sister or somebody else is praying for us, that, that somebody else's holiness is going to get us um, to be in front of God. God says, the reason I, that I provide confession is it's a way for you to come to me, to realize your sin, to come to me, and I allow you to come to me in confession because of Christ. And we can approach it, approach his throne um, confidently. So I want you to think about that blessing that he's given you. How are you taking that blessing and are you using that blessing? Are you confessing um, to him daily? The next thing that she talks about is um, communion. And I think uh, for a lot of us that maybe have grown up in the church, that that's something that we do just without even thinking about it. Um, but we're going to turn to chap uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I know I have made you guys like turn all over the place today. But um, I was really impressed in college that there is not anything that I can say that is going to be of any worth to you. Just um, that it is the word of the Lord that comes out. That is something that stands forever, like Brittany read. Um, so I'm not going to apologize for making you flip all over, but just um, hear from the Lord. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse um, 23. So this is just Paul helping um, the church in Corinthia, in Corinth, sorry, remember what Christ said, okay? For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you that the Lord, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same way, he also took the cup after 
Supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to break this down just a little bit. I want you to think about there's, there's certain things that he's telling us to look at when Christ did this, okay? The first thing he says is um, in verse, really in verse 24, he's saying, do this in remembrance of me, okay? He's not just saying, every time you think about it, remember me, but do this in remembrance of me. There's a, like a special Greek word, and I can spell it out for you if that's something really interesting to you, but I cannot say it, okay? Um, but it's just the idea of remembrance. It's stronger than recollection. It's stronger than, um, than just thinking about it. Okay, but he is asking us to recall an event of his death with vividness and power in a way that affects you presently. That he says in here, he said that my body is broken for you. He wants this to mean something to you. Um, that is a personal thing. Um, so the purpose in you looking back, when we do this, we look back at Christ, at what he did. When you look back, that renews your relationship with Christ. You're constantly thinking about relationship with Christ. Then also, if you even go down to verse 28, he says, let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drinks, eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Um, when he's talking about the body here, he's actually talking about the body of believers, Okay. So he's saying, examine yourself, okay? But also, if you do that, if you do eat and drink without discerning the body, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. So he's wanting you to think about the body of believers around you, to look back, but then also look at what you have in the present. It's a time when, when the body of Christ renews its love and unity for each other. So when we take communion together, not only are you looking back and thinking about your relationship with Christ because what he has done for you, but you're looking at what he is currently doing for you because he has given you a body of believers, okay? He has not left you by yourself. And then the last part, he says, um, do this as often as you eat the bread and eat this bread and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's day until he comes. So he says, look back at what God's done. Look right now at what he's given you, but also look ahead, do this until the day the Lord comes. You're going to keep thinking about, like, one day the Lord is going to come back. But until he does, we're going to keep doing this. We're keeping on proclaiming what he's done. So when we proclaim, you're saying it loud, right? Some in your, in, <laughs> I was just thinking about, like, Cinderella, when they give a proclamation of something, they want the whole village to know, right, that, so everybody will come. When we proclaim it until the day of the Lord, we have to tell everybody so that when you take communion, this next time that we have communion, usually um, Justin will announce it a couple of weeks beforehand. Get yourself ready. Not just that you're thinking about your own sin, but that you're thinking about what Christ has done for you, what Christ is doing for you, and what he's going to do for you, and how that's going to change the way that you act. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I thought about is how is the world basically without this? Because... Um, people that don't have Christ, that don't have communion with Christ, um, what do they do instead? What do they make up? Um, and one of the things that my mom and I had talked about recently, um, she went into a restaurant and she saw, um, you know, a, a God statue and the food in front of it. 
And she was asking me, she said, Amber, do they really think that that statue is going to eat that food? <laughs> I thought a lot about that. And um, so I did a lot of research. And Casey and I lived in the Muslim world, okay? Muslims do not um, offer sacrifices, and they do not um, have little statues of gods, okay? But billions and billions of people do all the world. So I was like, okay, who is that, right, that is doing that? Um, you have Muslim, I mean, Hindus and sometimes Buddhists, and Hindus alone account for over a billion people in the world. But do you know how many of them are in Charlotte? Just in this area, there are like 20,000 Indians, okay? I want you to hear that, 20,000. There are not 20,000 of us in this room, but there are 20,000 of them. Guess what? There is a girl that we met um, at UNCC. Her name is Priyanka, and um, she's from India. And she invited me into her house um, when I was going to pick her up. She said, here, come and come in my apartment. And she has this little teeny apartment that she shares with like eight other girls, and she has a bed on the floor. But what she wanted to show me was her, basically her shrine to um, her God. And it was just this little cardboard box, and it had some pictures of different deities and one little statue. Um, she was so proud of that. I remember thinking, God, she is proud of a little statue. Am I proud of you? You are the creator of the universe. And why did God ask us not to make, told us, commanded us not to make idols? So we would not think little of him, to think that we could create him to do something, but to realize he's the one that created us. There is nothing that we can imagine that is as amazing as he is. And I thought, God, you have given me communion with you. That doesn't make any sense. So what Priyanka does, and over one other, one billion other Hindus, they bring food, okay? Not because they think that God is going to eat it. That was my horrible misconception, okay? Um, <laughs> but because she thinks that if she is devout enough, she is supposed to offer her food before she eats it or a little bit of her food. It has to be very specific food, okay? Because her God is only, well, no, I'm gonna, I don't want to be ugly. She, um, she stands there, she offers that to her, the picture or the statue, and she holds her hands out and she closes her eyes, and she believes that God is pleased with her devotion, okay? So why are we different than that? Number one, we don't have a God that we can create. But number two, we, there is absolutely nothing we can do to please God. So that's why God gives us communion, okay? So he can see that it's not us offering things up to him, but it is him that sent Christ down to us. He is reaching out. No other God in the whole world is like that. Billions of other people that are thinking, if I can just do something to please God... And none of their gods have reached down into their life, okay? She thinks that she's, uh, for Hindus, they're constantly being reborn. The idea of karma, that if she's good enough, if she offers these things, if she does enough stuff, that it, the next life she'll be reborn into a better person than she already was and finally reaches up to a certain level um, of state of enlightenment, then you can finally break that cycle of system of being constantly reborn then where you reach heaven, which is called... Ioka or something like that. Um, this is how tiring that sounds. But God says, rest. I have given you communion with me. When Jesus did this with them, 
when he get when he was doing the Lord's Supper with his um, or the Last Supper with his disciples, he was doing it at a very specific time. Okay, I want you to think about that. He was doing it during the Passover. The Passover was a time when the Jews were supposed to remember what God had already done. Okay, remember, thinking back, looking back. They were supposed to remember that God had brought them out of Egypt. And he had told them, the way that I'm going to save you from Egypt is you're going to um, kill a lamb. You're going to take that lamb's blood. You're going to put it over your door. And when the angel of death passes through the whole entire land of Egypt, he sees that blood on your door and he passes over you. So they were supposed to continually celebrate the Passover to remember that. So Jesus is telling them, this whole story, this is pointing to me, that I am the Passover lamb, that I am the blood on that door. Take this blood, this drink, and remember it constantly. Um, just what a beautiful picture. Every, I mean, when I started looking through these six things, I don't think I really, like, there was so much stuff I, I had to stop literally when Casey said, you're going all over the place. Like, um, I could talk to you guys for like hours about this. Um, but I want you to think about, do I take the Lord's Supper as just routine? Or am I like right beforehand, am I just praying? Uh, please forgive me from what I did today. But are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about what Christ has done for you, what Christ is doing for you, and what Christ is going to do for you? Um, the next one is um, the body of Christ. This one really excites me. I really have like less than 10 minutes to finish like the three next ones. Uh, but um, what does God's word teach us about the church, okay? About the body of believers around us. Um, it, is, it is hard because we want to look through scripture and we want to find one little verse that explains what we, what we, a concept of the church, okay? You're not going to find that. There, it is not in the New Testament because it is all of the New Testament, okay? Um, one thing that Paul wanted us to get in writing all those letters, if you think about it, when he writes those letters, he's not writing those letters to a building, right? Um, in Ephesus, when he talks to them, he says, to the saints at Ephesus, when he writes First and Second Corinthians, he says, to the church in Corinth, those who are sanctified, okay? Not to the building, but to those people who are sanctified in Christ. And when we look at the book of Acts, that is the story of how the church came up. So God is giving us not just in a little snippet, a little verse that we can tuck nicely in our pocket and just feel like, okay, we understand it. No, he's saying it's a complex thing. You have to look at all of these um, books collectively to see what the church is supposed to be like and often what the church is not supposed to be like, okay? Um, one thing I would love to suggest to you, there's a book by Mark Dever. Um, when the pastor last year, I guess, we did nine marks of a healthy church. This um, is a very tiny version of that. It's called What is a Healthy Church? It is excellent. Um, Casey gave it to me this past week, and just as I was thinking about the church of the past month, really, and I just would read this whole book to you. Like, it's so excellent just to help you think through what is the church. Um, and it's incredibly, he's an excellent writer, and it is not boring at all, okay? Um, but so we're looking at the church. I want you to think about Hickory Grove, and I know some of you may not be members of Hickory Grove, maybe a member of a different church. Think about your body of believers. It, the church is not a place, but it is a people. Justin, I've really listened to him the past couple Sundays. He is very careful when he even announces it. He says, welcome to Hickory Grove or the gathering at Hickory Grove, okay? He's not saying, welcome to our physical building. 
just to help us think through, like just those little tiny things. Um, so turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses um, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay, and you're going to be like, Amber, what in the world does that say about the church? The word church is not even in there, okay? Um, but I want you to think of us. If the church is not a place, but it is people, what do we all have in common? Why, are, why is the church something that we, we go together? And it says it right here. In verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Um, to be a Christian, we are adopted into the body of Christ, okay? When an orphan is adopted, they don't choose the family they're going in, do they? They don't say, hmm, I think I want to go to the Johnson family, not the Smith family. They are taken to whoever it is that adopts them. So we did not choose this family of God that we have been adopted into. Which is very convicting to me. Because a lot of times I think, well, I would rather have been adopted into that church family over there. Or, so, you know, um, that an orphan doesn't choose his family. That we are brought into the family not because of our own decision, but because Christ chose us. He predestined you from the beginning. All right, so how does that affect my holiness? Um, first of all, we have to have a right view of ourselves. That we remember that we are orphans constantly through the books that Paul writes to the churches. He's reminding them, you were once like this. You were once dead in your transgressions. But now, having a constant rem just thought. And I think the problem a lot of times with the church is that we don't think we're that awful. Okay? We don't see ourselves for what we really are. Um, Casey and I really, um, through reading Ephesus with the church last year, I mean, even when we were overseas, we always watched the, the sermons and we tried to memorize whatever you guys were memorizing just to constantly connect. Because um, when we were in Libya, we were the only people in Libya. I did not know a single other Christian in a city, or in a country of six million people. Um, so it was something that connected us, something that held us accountable, even though nobody was going to say, hey, did you memorize Ephesians first, I mean, the first chapter? But just something that God really impressed on us to do. So as we were reading that last year, um, just struck by the idea of adoption. It's something that we have always talked about a lot um, since before we were married. But um, So we started the process and um, I was talking to my sister about it, and we thought we would have to adopt a kid internationally because we couldn't easily adopt a kid from America, and we didn't really care. Um, so we were looking at the programs that expats, like people living abroad, what can they actually do? And one of the programs was Russia, and I told my sister that, and she said, Amber, that's like the crazy kids. And I was like, 
Well, my sister holds nothing back, okay? She doesn't, like, spice up and sugarcoat anything. She goes, that's like the crazy kids, like the kids that have, like, all these problems that you can't get them until they're way older. And um, I had thankfully just been reading Ephesians. And uh, she was like, why would you do that? And she's a believer, but she was just saying, like, why would you bring that into your home? And I just remember thinking, God, that is what you did for me with a child that is an orphan. You don't know what you're getting. You don't know what genetical things are hiding. But God saw us. He saw all of our horrible things. He sees our hearts. And he said, no, I want you anyway. Like that. He saw how ugly we were going to be to the body of Christ, even once we were brought in, okay? He saw that we were going to still sin once we were still brought in. But he said, no, I want you to be a part of my family. I was even thinking about it yesterday with Jacob, how um, whether you were in adult Sunday school or student Sunday school or down all the way to like preschool Sunday school, how purpose is what can stop God's plan. Nothing can stop God's plan. Jacob continued to make horrible choices to sin, but God had a plan that God still chose him. It's all throughout the Bible. So if we have a right view of ourselves, um, can I have that napkin right there without stepping across? <laughs> um, if we have a right view of ourselves, how does that affect the way that we function within the body of believers? Well, we love each other. Because when we think of ourselves rightly, then we have mercy and love for other people. We don't get aggravated with them when they make one small tiny mistake. Um, in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, not to act like you always do, but that you will love, sorry, the, not to act like you always do, that was just me. Um, that, you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, also you were to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have one, one for another. One of the things that Mark Dever says in this book, and there's absolutely no way I could like rephrase it in my own words, so I'm going to tell you exactly what he says. You and I cannot demonstrate love or joy or peace or patience or kindness sitting all by ourselves on an island. Um, no, we demonstrate it when the people we have committed to loving give us good reasons not to love them, but we do it anyway. Like, how beautiful is that? And God says, by this, the whole world will know that you're my disciples. Okay, that's the only way that, not the only way, but that is the way that they see us and that they see the gospel, okay? This is incredibly important that they see the gospel because of the way that we love each other. We display the gospel when we lay down our lives for one another the way that Christ laid down his life for us. We display the gospel together in a way that we cannot do it by ourselves. It's so easy for us to think, um, I definitely felt like this in college sometimes, like, well, I'll just go in for the worship, or I'll just go in for the sermon. I'm not going to really talk to anybody else or get plugged in or serve or do anything else, but because those people kind of, like, I don't want those people to slow me down. Or No. God has given you gifts for the body, okay? One th another thing that Mark Dever says is, I wonder how often people consider the fact that God has given so many spiritual gifts precisely so that those gifts might be used in response to the sin of other Christians in the church. My sins give you a chance to exercise your gifts. I had never thought about it like that before. Um, 
So congratulations, my sins give you a chance to exercise your gift, so get on it. Um, what is the world like without this grace, without this blessing? Um, when Casey and I were, were overseas, um, uh, one of my friends and I talked a lot about, um, about the Bible, about Christ, about having a relationship with God. And um, she said, Amber, you talk about God the way that Muslims should talk about God. She said, you, you talk about God because he's living. Um, and I remember just being so sad just that she saw it. She was so close, but she was not there. But I said, well, Radwa, don't you have this idea of community and um, belonging when you go to the mosque? She looked at me like I was crazy. Um, she said, no. And that was totally, before we left, the thought that I had, look, you see these pictures of hundreds of people bowing down and praying. They're all humbled together, right? But they're there for their own deeds, okay? The reason that, reason that we are different is because that we are bonded together, not because of something we have done, that we always remember that it is because of Christ and what he has done, that we are all orphans together, that we have been brought into the body of Christ. Um, there is a, a man who just joined the church, or is joining the church. Um, he was at dinner with the pastor this past week. He's um, he came from a Muslim background, and I asked him, because I thought, I'm just going to check and make sure it's not just a couple of friends that I had in one place. And so I said, you know, tell me about your thoughts about just the body of Christ. He's been reading the Bible a lot, um, and he said, this is a totally new concept for me. I said, is it not like this in Islam? He said, no. He said, they might try to make it like this, but you're really just centered around one imam, one leader that you really think is a, an amazing speaker or something, but there's no community. Um, for them, you go into a mosque and you pray five times a day, so they have tons and tons of mosques in the Middle East, in the Arab world. Um, I mean, just on our street alone, there were probably two or three within walking distance when we lived in Egypt, which can be incredibly loud and annoying to a, a foreigner, but um, that made me realize there are so many because they can just go in real quick anytime they have to pray that there's no connection with any of those people. Um, so w we have been giving this blessing, okay? I want you to think about that. Um, I want you to think about, am I committed to this body of Christ? Um, do I feel like I can just go and come whenever I please? Um, do I think I do a better job displaying the gospel on my own? Um, there's no way I'm going to get all... I'm going to stop after church discipline. Well, gosh, I really don't want to. Church discipline. Basically, the idea is that um, you're excluding a professing Christian from membership or from the Lord's Supper for serious unrepentant sin. Matthew 5, uh, 18, verse 15 through 17 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take two others with you, and that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. When we first think about it, I think so often we think, gosh, that is not loving. How is that loving for church for the church to have church discipline. Think about it with God um, and Adam and Eve. Would it have been loving for him not um, to exclude them from the garden? Um, there's a Bible called the Storybook Bible or something like that that the, my kids have. And I remember um, 
that it talked about God put them out of the garden because of his love, because in the garden was also the tree of life. And he didn't want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever in sin. What a great, great gift that was for him to, put, to exclude them, okay? Um, even with the, the nation of Israel, he excluded them from the land when they sinned. Why? To bring them back in, to bring them to confession, for them to recognize their sin, um, for them to come back to him. He's a loving God, but he also will not allow sin. But how beautifully does that he disciplines those who he loves. Um, the church, church discipline helps us um, to display God's character faithfully, and it helps the church to remain holy. Um, so what would it be like if the church was devoid of church discipline? Well, look at the world. Um, the world tells us to tolerate everything, and there are many churches who do, who tolerate everything and bring people in and encourage people and... and uh, advertise themselves as being churches who want that, okay? But we have to be true to God's word to say, no, when there is sin, we lovingly, in love, go to that person and say, this is sin, not because we want to judge, but um, I want you to turn real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 18. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 says, And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, God is telling us, you are my ambassadors. An ambassador doesn't say what he wants to say. An ambassador speaks on behalf of the person that he represents. Okay, and what is the message that the ambassador has given us? It says of reconciliation. It's not of judgment. Okay, so when we go to each other in the church and we see what there's sin, we go in love because the purpose is to be reconciled to God. Like how beautiful that is instead of the opposite that the world is saying, just tolerate everything. So I want you to think about yourself do you know another believer in the church that is trapped in sin? And what part is God giving you to play in the reconciliation for them? So often we want to just be quiet. But God is saying, no, I have given you the ministry of reconciliation to use for, for each other, for love. Um, the last one is um, suffering. First of all, we know the Bible tells us that Christ is our example. First um, Peter 2 um, verse 21 says, for, this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might also follow in his footsteps. We can look at Peter when he went to prison. That was complete suffering, right? Did God spare him from that? He still experienced it. There's missionary after missionary that we could tell you that that's happened to. But look at the faith that he produced in the believers that were back there 
locked in the room praying for him. That God used that suffering to bring about their holiness and Peter's holiness. That God doesn't waste anything. Um, while we were in Libya, um, there were four missionaries that were arrested and taken to prison. Oh, one of them was a lady. She was a single lady. And I had really gotten to meet her years before that. And I remember being so honestly fearful for her because there's lots of stories of rape within the Middle East just because of their thoughts on women. And I just thought, God, please. And I remember praying protect her from that because I couldn't imagine that for myself. Another friend of mine got to go visit her in prison about after a month um, that she had been there, they transferred her, her to our city where we were. So my friend that, um, had to go visit her, and she came back, and she said, Amber, you're not going to believe what she told me. And I said first, I was like, oh, please tell me that she's been left alone. And she said, praise the Lord, she has. They have not touched her at all. Um, they've put her in a cell by herself, which was really hard for her. But, um, but they kept coming back to her over and over, trying to get her story straight. And they would say, okay, tell us again what you believe about Jesus. And she would get to tell them again and again and again. And she told my friend, she said, I got to share the gospel more in prison with these guards than I ever did before I had. She had only been in, in Libya just for a couple of months. And she, she, she had shared about Christ with one other person, her landlord. But then she got to share with all these other people, like how her suffering displayed the gospel in a way that she couldn't have to people that were undeserving. Um, so what is the imitation um, of this grace? Well, just the opposite. There is false doctrine that you, and Clint talks about this, where he says the prosperity gospel, this idea that, um, that only good things will result in your faith, that you will have a great marriage, that you will have beautiful children that never disobey you, <laughs> that you... Um, that you will never get sick, that you'll have great health, that, um, that you have all the riches that you need. There is absolutely nothing in the Bible that tells us that. Um, and what a blessing it is to have suffering. Why are we different? Romans 5, verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I want you to think about, is there any area of suffering that I am, am resisting, not allowing God to bring about my holiness? Um, one thing that I thought about through all six of these um, these are not anything new, okay? That with each one of these blessings, they were present in the Old Testament as well. So for the word, God's word that he's given us, that was the law. For confession, you had the priests that were offered sacrifices for the people. For communion, there was Passover. And for the body of Christ, there was the nation of Israel. And for discipline, there's a whole book of Leviticus, basically, that tells you if you do this, stone the person that is... And sin. Um, and then even um, we see suffering in the Old Testament where you look at Job and how he suffered. Um, 
so that n- none of this is new. But I thought, okay, what is the difference? The difference is Christ. Um, the difference is Christ. So in one of the things that she talks about in um, the very first part of this chapter with the words she reads, or she gives a, a little bit about um, John 17. Jesus is praying right before the very end, and he says, um, he's praying for the disciples. He says in verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake... I consecrate myself so that they may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you and just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus affirms our holiness. He says that they are not of the world just like I'm not. The, the moral holiness that we've talked about, the, the holiness that God puts on us. But then he's sanct, uh, he talks about Sanctify them by your truth. He's saying the process of our daily lives, which we are being conformed to the image of Christ, um, by his truth, by the word, is the, the idea of practical holiness that Heidi's talked about. But then the very end, he's saying, I send them out into the world, okay? The, the reason that he set them, that he set himself apart to God so that we can stand before him, before God, sanctified, and that our holiness affects the belief of the nations. Um, so I'm going to pray and let you be dismissed. God, thank you so much for your word. Um, we just pray that we have a good conversation. What time is left? And just thank you so much for your faithfulness. In your name we pray. Amen.